Welcome to the Be A Boss Coaching Podcast. I'm your host, Beatriz Rivera, entrepreneur and business coach and creator of Be A Boss Coaching, a one-on-one coaching program for folks looking to create a business while learning to embrace their inner boss. On today's podcast, I have David Caicedo, a Brooklyn-born and raised organizer and former co-executive director at Florida Student Power Network, a nonprofit youth-centered organization utilizing political education and organizing strategy to tackle social issues and work toward implementing change in the state of Florida. David is not just a seasoned leader with incredible experience, but a former colleague who canvassed with me during our tenant support work in New York City, and best of all, a dear friend. We reminisce about our tenant support work canvassing days, what it takes to run a truly impactful nonprofit organization, and how to make time for rest, healing, and care within organizations, and the people working for them. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, David. I am so excited for you to be on this podcast. I have been wanting to talk to you about your experience and your journey But before I move forward with just talking about who you are and how awesome you are, if you can introduce yourself and a little bit about who you are. Hey, yeah. David Caicedo, he, him, Elejo's pronouns. And I am an organizer living in Orlando, Florida, originally from Brooklyn, New York, to Afro-Colombian immigrants that came here in the 1980s with my three older siblings. See, I didn't even know that. (laughs) I'm really excited Uh, to like learn more about you. (laughs) I feel like we told, like you told me this and it's just been. It's been years. It's been years. It's been years. And just for our listeners. Salvadorian, Ecuadorian, Honduran. Yeah. I mean, just for our listeners and people listening. So me and David, are really good friends. I can I will say like I consider you a really good friend of mine even though right. you know like right. in person we see each other once every two three I think once every 3 4 years. <laughs> <laughs> but every time I speak with you I feel like no time has passed. Like we can just pick up wherever we left off last time and we just catch up. I agree. You know. Awesome. So Afro-Colombian parents, originally from Brooklyn, now living in Florida, and me and David, and I want to have you talk about this experience with working for the city. So me and David met through our work with the mayor's office in New York City. There was a new initiative called, was it originally called TSU or... The way that I explain it is like we were a unit within a unit within the City Hall of New York. It was the tenant support unit within the public engagement unit. Right. See, 
I didn't. I just remember TSU. I didn't even remember what TSU stand stood for. <laughs> There's that whole other team also that we shared a floor with that were like our counterparts yeah i remember so we did some work together we canvassed together and we were working with this new initiative trying to get people to learn about us and i will say that working with that team or during that time i actually really enjoyed that work It was like really good. And we met some really cool people. And but, you know, my experience from it is that it turned into real shit show real fast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But and we had to get out. But the work itself, just like the Canvan scene and working for tenants and tenant rights and working with the attorneys that was really that was really cool i wish the the culture of it wouldn't have turned sour i want to say but yeah so that's how me and david know each other and so every time we talk we reminisce about that time and we always talk about the things that are important to us so the reason why i'm still in touch with david is because He's a badass person. So not only was he a colleague and someone who has similar values, but also my friend. So thank you for being here. Hey, thank you. That's so funny, the description of TSU and that time. Yeah, I have very warm memories of you. I feel like we always joke around, hang out. And we were part of the same group friend at work, you know, clicks form. Yes, yes. (laughs) But um, I always think about the days in Ernesto and Ruben's apartment. Oh, my gosh. Casa Chicana. Casa Chicana. (laughs) Uh, Is it still on Yelp? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I think it was on Yelp, yeah. And then somebody, remember, someone left a review and was like, this place, it doesn't even exist. I, I remember leaving like two reviews after that. Like, what do you mean? And like pictures of the food and all of that. <laughs> um, that's so funny. But what do I remember about TSU and my experience at TSU? You know, I'm less judgmental about it now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and less bitter about it now. But I do... I think it was cool to learn the way that a city functions. I remember getting a training on like the rats of the city, like the rat guy for the city was like, oh yeah, they just form little, they just burrow holes, you know, right in front of City Hall. And I'm like, dang, like what? Or like learning, they were called like Scandinavian rats or something like that. Do you remember that? No, I don't remember that. It was something. I'm pretty sure they said that they were like Scandinavian rats that came on like the boats or something like that from Europe. That's funny. No, I just remember also there was just so much random initiative that we would be a part of. Remember the initiative where there was no legionnaires? <laughs> yeah. There was like a random was like it, I don't even know what it's called. I remember it was, it was Legionnaire. We we had to like ask people 
we were canvassing at the Bronx, I remember, and like either handing out flyers or it was like, do you have a air system on your mm-hmm. roof? Because if so, you might have lesioners. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember we were kept, we didn't even know what that was. What is lesioners? And pe- some people were like, like a millionaire's disease, like, <laughs> and then just like <laughs> making fun of it. And it was so random. But that part of the cool thing was we got to go to like the emergency operating center for like the whole city of New York. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like things like that were really cool. Or like when the Pope was in town, we were, we were the people. Oh, yes. I remember when the Pope came to town and we were. People love the Pope. That was a lot of, a lot, a lot of people. So much fun. We were there. What were we doing? We were like controlling the, 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 the crowd. Traffic. I was right at the entrance of Central Park. Somewhere like in the Upper West Side, I remember. Yes, that. and just the people, just so many people that were like, "Come on, we just just let us into the park." Yeah, no, I remember that, and I remember taking a picture, trying to take a picture of the Pope, and trying to send it to my mom. Like, "Mom, the Pope is here." <laughs> she was like, "What?" Um, but yeah, that was so random, but it was really fun. I think that's why. I enjoyed that that position, that role, because there's was, there was so many different things we were doing. And also our work schedule was, like, different. We would start at, like, 11 and end at, what, like, 8? <laughs> oh, yeah. You see, those kind of details I forget sometimes. Also, I think it was for folks like us that we're thinking beyond individually that access to staff the Pope or go to the Macy's parade or none of those, or being with the mayor all the time. (laughs) Always with him. Like he was at the train station. We were at the train station we were at the town halls. We were at the town halls with him, but that's when you start seeing like, oh, but systemically, are we really impacting, mm-hmm. right? I think it was a piece of, there's so many tenants in need in New York City, but we couldn't do what we needed to help them. I feel like out of the 600, 500, whatever cases that we had, like I maybe only helped a handful of folks, yeah. you know, and a real substantial way, yeah. intangible way. And that part was like, oh, okay, I'm grateful to have learned in this opportunity yeah. and to mm-hmm. see people. But then this is just something about it is not enough. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure I think after that it grew and it got, they received a lot more resources. So, you know, I wasn't able to see the impact of it as as it grew, as there was more like time with it, as it started developing. But I did, I think it was, it solidified for me, just my own, just where I enjoyed helping and how I enjoyed working and and talking with people because I did come across tenants that had real issues and 
connecting them to our legal services like that there was a few cases where would they would actually get their issues resolved so that was really cool to see yeah yeah i agree i agree there were or just the relationship building because you're talking to these people you meet them once then you're following up calling with them following up i've spoke to maybe most of my tenants like 10 times yeah i know i remember (laughs) yeah so that was cool but okay so the reason and i know we're gonna get to this because in my eyes you are someone with a lot of knowledge and information around nonprofit and nonprofit work and i've seen you do and lead some great work in that area and as a social worker myself you know i i went to school learning about nonprofits and my focus of area in social work school was mostly how to create a board, management of boards and nonprofit work program and program evaluation. And I think at some point I thought about what I want to be an executive director. And I that was sort of the focus for me in in when I was in social work school. But I think there's a lot of social workers who, and not just social workers, but people who have values in service and community, there's this gap of, or maybe would want to know more information around nonprofits. Um, but before we get to that, I'm just interested and curious in how you came to grow and embrace the values that you have around service. Because I know that like since TSU, like that was a very community service role and job. And since then you've gone on to other work where it's about community and organizing. But I'm curious how you came to those values of service and community in general. Like what did you do prior to TSU and what led you to that work? Mm. Growing up poor, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, (laughs) growing up poor, Uh, yeah. Um, I think that, so I was raised in Brownsville, the border of like Brownsville, Crown Heights, Brooklyn. And I just think that throughout life, I had so many different kinds of experiences that have led me to this point now. And I think that the values that I hold, like we all deserve healthcare, (laughs) you know, like rent should be free (laughs) right um i know it's like a hard thing to think about but like rent should be free we all deserve dignity you know we all deserve quality education and to me i think that those things come from seeing the communities that produce me and seeing like the inequalities you know seeing being part of an under-resourced community Mm -hmm. and being part of an oppressed people, right? I think 
about why did my parents have to come from Colombia to the United States? And I think that these values get solidified more and more as I learn about the systems of oppression more and more. I think when we were at TSU, I found it weird that we were in the community that I actually lived in and weren't really, still weren't able to address, you know, like the problems that we were facing. But as we, as I start learning about like, okay, the developers, the real estate board of New York, you know, and like the millions of dollars that they throw into our political systems every year, you know, it's like, damn, that's messed up. You know, as we think about just the system as an immigrant, you know, like the immigration system in the United States and how xenophobic and racist it is, it made me want to come into action. You know, when I think about the harms that in the name of capitalism, right, from the enslavement of my ancestors to multinational corporations exploiting my family when my ancestors in Colombia to orchestrated coups, you know, there's just so many reasons I believe that kind of pushed me to believe what I believe now, you know, which is we need a radical reimagining, right? We need like a complete shift in the way that oppressed people are treated, you know? And I think that even around the world, there needs to, especially around the world, right? I think here in the U.S. context, we think about it, but when we think of globally, it's like, yeah, the same things that they're doing here are happening tenfold um, around the world. You know, like right now in Palestine, what's going on? And it's like, yeah, those are, there's Gaza literally was a city that had a wall around it that whenever the Israeli government feels like, yeah, we're going to bomb them, you know, like, yeah, stay the fuck in this little confined space, you know, and I feel that resonates with me in the way that police treated folks in my community, the way that folks also feel hopeless, (laughs) you know, in the communities that I grew up in or communities that I just see, and they almost usually, you know, Black, Brown, poor, poor white, you know, and I think that I just believe deeply that one day we will see those changes, right? It's like, why is there a hood in every city? You know, it's like, yeah, what systems are profiting from Geo Group, private prison corporation to the police unions that in the way that they're used as a tool of like capitalism to white supremacy and the way that it shows up even in the workplace, <laughs> you know, and I believe that we experienced a lot of that when we were working together. I'm at a point and keep moving more at a point of, okay, like, what do we do to really support people and communities? I mean, that's why you're my friend obviously, because <laughs> we can talk about these really deep, serious issues. I think how you talked about the idea of growing up poor, right, and in the hood. And to me, I remember thinking, like, when you said, why is there a hood in every city? And I'm like, oh, 
damn, like I grew up in South Central and and you know how on every inner city that's labeled as, you know, like hood or whatever, there's always like a King Boulevard or Martin Luther King yeah, I live literally down the street from King and I was like, oh my God. I mean, for me growing up, it's just, that's just my home. That's my neighborhood. But then when you start learning about it, you really start to see where you grew up and how you grew up. It it actually, visually, you start to see like the ways in which neighborhoods and people and communities are stratified into these spaces yeah and they're like there's like freeways ripping through them like i live literally next to the 110 freeway that's where i grew up next to the 110 and it's a huge freeway that connects all the major freeways in la so i live right smack i was like oh my god that's so true there's liquor stores everywhere king is down the street I live next to the 110 freeway. Like, that is my hood. Like, there's a church right there. There's church, you know. So, yeah, I I can totally see that. Yeah, with the highways cutting through cities, you know, when you start learning about, like, under the, what's the Third Avenue Bridge? That used to be a thriving, like, community here in Orlando. The I-4 and 408, like a series of, um, expressways intersect right over what used to be a black community. And it's just like, isn't it weird? Like, on the, they only cut through, they only cut through communities when they're black or brown or poor, you know? Like, yeah. And they're used kind of, also yeah. as dividers too between, exactly. you know, poor communities. And like you see it in New York, like I thought about it when I was at Mount Sinai, when I used to work at Mount Sinai in, in East Harlem and how mm-hmm. we were on. That's the one like on Park Avenue. Right. It was like Park. And then there was, I think, Le- was it Lexington? I can't even remember anymore. But on one side on Park, it's the Central Park side. And then literally one block over you see the projects Mm -hmm. and we're right in the middle and there's these million dollar apartments right on the central park side. And then there's like NYCHA on the other. So, and I would go visit some of my patients in those NYCHA apartments all the time. And sometimes it feels like the police is only there. Only on that side. (laughs) With the bright, those bright luminescent lights just facing towards people's windows, you know, all in the name of safety, but who's who's safety, safety, right? But now that you've explained sort of why you've come to this work and coming to the different types of roles that you've had. So after TSU, I remember that's when you went to Florida Student Power, Yes. Florida Sewer and Power. Okay. And this is where I'm really interested because I know that it became larger than what you didn't know it was going to become so large. So can you tell me how you came to that and how it unfolded as you worked with that team? Yeah, I was in New York, still at TSU when Trump became the candidate for the Republicans. And my background up to that point had been either working like in government or like electoral, 
you know? So I was like, dang, I should probably go work on a campaign. And I started asking folks around that I knew were connected to different kinds of campaigns. And that's when someone was like, oh, in Florida, there's an opportunity for you to build out a vote program where young people vote based on their values rather than focusing on a particular candidate. And that really appealed to me because I was registered to vote under the Working Families Party line in New York, <laughs> you know? So I was just like, okay, this sounds interesting. And at first I was also kind of like youth organizing. I'm like 29 at the time. I was like, dude, what do I, what do I have? And then the person said to me, well, you know, there always has to be an older person helping to guide. Like with SNCC, Ella Baker was there. And that's what I was like, Ella Baker, like, damn, okay. Like, yeah, you're right. And that's <laughs> that's kind of what sold me to move to Florida. And throughout the time there, it went from this vote program and with students. I met students in Pensacola, Panama City, Tallahassee, Jacksonville, Gainesville. I don't know if Florida folks know these places. It's probably relevant to them. But essentially, if Florida is this shape from Pensacola to the Keys, um, um, beneath Miami, there were just young people that really also cared, um, that also cared deeply about their communities, the schools that they were in, the state of the political nature. And that was the start of it. Um, just a lot. It was me, a single staff person with a bunch of fellows, <laughs> you know, and young students um, all across the country that just wanted to get involved in the elections in one way or another um, for many reasons, right? There were students that were un completely undocumented. There were students that had DACA, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. There were students that had TPS. There were students that were impacted by the school-to-prison pipeline. There were students that were houseless, you know, like there were students. There was just so much. There's such like a diversity in the reasons why folks were getting involved that was very beautiful to see. And then where the project becomes, you know, starts to take shape into like a longer sustainable nonprofit was at the end of the year in 2016. Young people were like, all right, what are we gonna do now? <laughs> Instead of giving up or losing hope, there were so many young people and partners that we had built relationships that were really like, you know, we need to continue to build out this youth program um, and this project into something long-term. And really that's when we started focusing on different strategic issue-based campaigns and then strategic electoral campaigns all across Florida. Oh my gosh. And so the development of it, what I like is that it became this urgent need to continue the work. And this is why I love the work that you do with young people, because, you know, people our age, we've seen the the work that 
it takes. And I think at some point, sometimes you need that vigoration from younger people or anyone who has the energy to continue doing that very, very necessary work. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been a journey. There have been like a lot of iterations of the organization. You know, I think that with time, a big realization was structure is needed. You know, in the beginning, it was like, all right, you want to do a campaign on your campus against like polystyrene? Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, um, your school said they got rid of plastic products, but it was really only for like a short period of time to wait for these students to graduate. And you want to bring back the ban on plastics? Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, all are a student group that's focused on like migrant students. Okay. You know, like, and it was, really like a loosely connected network where young folks were just communicating with one another. And as time grew, there was really a need for us to connect with the larger organizing community and larger community and to be more strategic. You know, I think that as time went by, we started seeing white supremacists, Nazis, you know, recruiting on college campuses, showing up to college campuses. We saw like the Muslim bands that deeply impacted so many youth. We saw just so many attacks, you know, on like the queer and trans communities, right? LGBTQ plus communities, so many attacks. And it came both from some like the Muslim ban on the federal level to like the protest bans or the attacks on, um, so many attacks on women's bodies, right? And like bodily autonomy, so many attacks on Black communities, right? I think most recently, the way that in educational materials now in Florida, because of a law passed by the Satan, was the word ethnicity is now color in educational materials. The word gender is now sex in educational materials and all of that is a response from a system that needs to maintain control in a changing world like the their last most vicious attacks um to suppress people people's expressions people's identities people's voices so all of those external needs really made us to focus internally of like what do we need to actually be effective and to be in alignment with those impacted, yeah. right? And I think to make our campaigns more strategic. So that's where I started, you know, bringing on more staff. We started really developing a more formal relationship with our fiscal sponsor organization of like to get the support that we needed all for the sake of building something greater, mm -hmm. right? Building something that can actually respond to the moment that we're living yeah. in. Yeah, I, I really love the whole thing around response and like responding to what's happening because I feel like a lot of like nonprofits in general, just from my experience and what I've seen from nonprofit work is that they forget that there's a mission, but that mission is forgotten, I feel. And so mm. with nonprofits sometimes like they've been in existence for so long perhaps and so they like forget 
why they started in the first place or like what who they're really serving and the mission but in this case like there was it unfolded as things were happening as there were these like you mentioned different attacks and it grew and i'm wondering like how how did you grapple with the idea of like okay we're organizing we're responding to what's happening in right now in this like time of our lives and we're organizing but as you're getting bigger you need more structure and more like you said fiscal sponsorship and building stronger relationships with your fiscal sponsor so how are you grappling with the need of what's going on but also knowing that you're growing larger and becoming more formal in a sense out of necessity you know like what is it like necessity is the mother of innovation <laughs> um you really i was burning myself out i really i was in a different city sometimes every other day you know until 2018 from that 2016 point to 2018 like i was really driving everywhere and like sometimes sleeping in hotels you know i really i needed to get grounded right if <laughs> i needed to start building like stability and like it really if i was going to build something impactful and long term i couldn't do it alone and needed a, an amazing team of folks to help to do that and it just started right and the need to fundraise right the more staff more people the more folks's livelihoods um were also in my responsibility and i think that that was like a whole another added layer of like as we're getting those structures um and just what you in response to what you mentioned about like nonprofits feeling like they lost the missions you know their mission Yeah, the money. We live in a capitalist society where someone has to be on top and someone has to be on bottom. You know, capitalism is based on exploitation. <laughs> and it's to the philanthropic world where they get their money for the most part, right? Either like Wall Street because they're investing their trusts or millionaires and billionaires. You know, and I it sounds conspiratorial, but it's not in the it's not in the interest of a billionaire right or like the owning class of folks to have people really talking about we need a radical shift right like working people need livable sustainable wages <laughs> you know and like people are hoarding the wealth like literally like five people i think their combined wealth is a trillion dollars yeah where literally like the bottom 90% of us you know are like mm -hmm. living in such conditions you know the bottom of bottom yeah. that will never get to that point of wealth um yeah i just saw that i don't know if you saw that article it was like a web it's like a web page on the visualization of wealth and It, they start with like what Jeff Bezos 
is worth, which is I think 85 billion or something like that. And they like visualize it. Yeah, it's crazy. And, but he and like four, 399 other people have access to what I think it's like a trillion or two trillion, something like that. I've seen, I've seen similar charts that it's like, if you were to put it like, what do we think the wealth gap is versus what it in reality is? And it's kind of like, yeah. And then it's like, I know. <laughs> yeah. No, like they won't even, they wouldn't even fit into the chart. If we were to put the amount of money that this very small portion of people, but all of that to say, right. It's like nonprofits are also operating within these confines and within this construct. And I've seen so for some folks that they're doing work based on what grants are providing. And like, I think that for me, it was important to not do that. You know, like if I was gonna be mission driven, I needed to find different sources of grants for the organization that we're going to allow for us to continue to grow, you know, and to build out and really build relationships with like some really amazing foundation folks, you know, um, like the Youth Engagement Fund, the Funders Collaborative for Youth Organizing, the Movement Voter Project. There were, I think we were really fortunate to be in an ecosystem of folks that were really trying to support the growth of the organization rather than yet another extractive force, you know, mm-hmm. um, would have to contend. Yeah. I really like that. Cause I, I feel like when we think about nonprofits in general, like especially people with values like yours and, and eyes where, where we have a lot of importance to keep being true to who we're serving in our community and like really truly you know wanting to make sure that like our values are grounded i feel like what was my train of thought (laughs) they don't want to fund it no one to fund the revolution won't be funded right like (laughs) they don't exactly so like we we for we want to keep grounded to those values and when it comes to like nonprofit we don't want to you know get influenced by like people who are willing to help but under their conditions right like under their restrictions or under their like own agenda and um yeah. and so i think for a lot of people for like social workers or people with these similar values get there's this disillusion with nonprofit work and but i like that there's like yeah. a like how you said with capitalism we all are part of it just because we're just by virtue of being born, being born exactly and but there is a way to think about Right. It's true. Yeah. Nonprofits. There is a lot of work that can be done to improve the way nonprofits individually work. But as a whole, having people like you in these spaces and in this work, I think, keeps the work itself grounded, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. And not just me. Right. There's And 
that's the part that I've learned and why it's like there's so many different kinds of nonprofits that exist in this world. Yeah. Um, as I've seen those kind of like the multi-million dollar big, yeah, <laughs> you know, mean nonprofits that are just, yeah. you know, like institutions. Yeah. And then also like, other ones that are like really trying to make shifts, you know, and shifting the systems and really caring about the people that are also working in it, right? And trying not to replicate the same structure. So yeah, there's a whole spectrum. There's a whole spectrum out there of like the ways that folks operate. Yes. All right. So let's get into the different structures. I know last time you told me a little bit about <clears throat> the different structures of nonprofits. So if someone wanted to, let's say nonprofit is the way that they see themselves wanting to create change and think about creating a nonprofit. I didn't even know I, you were the one who taught me this, how there was more than it's more than 501c3. And maybe I didn't pay attention in school, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, what? Well, class. Huh? <laughs> you were asleep in a class. I was, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I think I think school, I like school, but. Hanging out with Ruben too yeah, much. <laughs> like we were like, I don't know. I guess I didn't pay attention because I didn't know. Or maybe I forgot. I think I sort of blocked out some of that time <laughs> at Columbia. <laughs> but okay. So can you talk about these two? At least I know you have experience in 501c3 and 501c4. So can you talk a little bit about 501c3? Okay. 501c3, I believe, I don't know. You should fact check this, okay. but it might be the most common. I think <laughs> like it is because that's the only one I've really heard about. 501c3, and that's where folks are doing nonpartisan work, okay. you know, um, work that doesn't get involved in political work within 501c3s, only like 10% of your budget tops can go, go towards like advocacy work or like lobbying mm -hmm. legislators. You can't really endorse candidates you can't get involved in in the political systems okay. yeah um, so that is i think that is the most common right especially like community centers and things like that yeah you hear them i don't want to mess up my nonprofit yeah status. <laughs> yeah you know something that you hear a lot yeah that's with 501c3 and service orgs right there's like cultural orgs there's like music nonprofits arts nonprofits you know that all fall under that category and certain political ones you know but they're doing talking more to like the larger systemic issue rather than any specific party or ideology or inclination gotcha so like a lot of our issue based work with student power network um falls within 501c3 okay mm. gotcha and what about so if if you were to get a little bolder like you said okay also tax deductible with 501c3s those are tax deductible contributions okay also 
to an organization. Then 501c4 was where a lot of the work that where, for example, when the bill was first introduced to like change the way that Black history is even taught in all of these book bans and anti-LGBTQ plus bills, where under 501c4, we were then able to name those specific bills when like the people introducing those bills and like why you're, because it's more partisan work because we're definitely like clear that in Florida, the Republican governor with the Republican House and the Republican-led Senate are the ones pushing down these policies that are xenophobic, homophobic, racist, against women, against people's wills, and against what they were. Now I'm in a tangent, (laughs) but against people's wills and against people's bodies and their autonomy. And communities weren't even asking for these bills, but somehow they're introducing them. But all of that, because with 501c4, you're able to talk more directly to those things. But even within that, there are limitations because there's a 501c4 like general operating funds that's like for you to operate generally. But then there's also like restricted 501c4 where you can only do like something specific. Then there's like unrestricted funds that you could get that would allow you to do more. So even within the larger classifications, there were still like limits on the kind of money that was available within it. So it was like C4 restricted, unrestricted, general operating. So the money all goes towards specific things, you know, same budgeting is a whole nother thing that I learned uh, throughout the process of Florida Student Power Network, but that's part of it, the kind of money that we were fundraising also and what that would allow. And I think that there's just like federal restrictions and audits that happen to make sure that those boundaries aren't being crossed between one and the other. So if someone was doing 501c3 work, very specifically doing that set of work. If someone is doing C4 work, they had to like log the hours and the times that you're doing it so that that can come from that bucket of money, you know, and the calculation per hour, per staff person that was doing that kind of work. I know there's like 501c5, c6, (laughs) labor unions are their own kind of 501 status. Yeah, there's like PACs, you know, that folks form. So there's a lot of different distinctions and classifications. Okay. So you would say to anyone who wanted to start a nonprofit with a nonprofit status to look into the right status and do research for the the proper status that would be most appropriate for the work that you want to do. Yes. What is it that you're trying to achieve and what's going to best serve your purpose? Okay. If someone wanted to start, let's say starting a nonprofit is the, that's what they want to do. And this is just maybe someone individually having their idea, having 
the idea of starting a nonprofit? Like what, where would you say they could start? Seeing what the rules are in their state. Cause I know that there's like a, what's the application process to do it. I know there's like a state process that you have to go through. And then there's also like a federal process that you have to go to for the IRS. I would also say, does the nonprofit that you're thinking of already exist, right? Does the idea that you're thinking about who else is doing that kind of work and that kind of similar work? And is there already an ecosystem? Because you, you might not need to create it, <laughs> right? Um, or you want to create it and there are people that you can learn from so that you're not having to recreate the wheel or do things the hard way every time. So it's who's already doing something similar that you can be learning from. And then if you know that accounting is a challenge, like getting insurance is a challenge, maybe who can, what can be another nonprofit that could fiscally sponsor, you know, like what you're doing at least initially until you're learning how to navigate the systems or build out what you need. And then budgeting, I think, would be the last piece. Really, really, really think about what is literally everything that you're spending money on in the most calculated kind of way. But it's not enough to say, oh, this is my million dollar budget. Like maybe $10,000 for printing, maybe $100,000 for staff. You should actually really figure out if we're going to pay someone $45,000 a year, how much it does insurance for that person, workers insurance cost, how much does the benefits, healthcare benefits cost, what is going to be like other fees that we're going to have to pay, who are consultants, really try to think about that budget in the most granular level possible. And then also, where are you going to get that money from? <laughs> you know, like have that, those revenue streams and like the budget of like the money that you're spending streams, like really try to match those things up. I think that those were lessons that I really had to come to terms with and like really get myself organized with thinking. And I was very fortunate that my co-director after a certain period of time at Student Power Network, like she was went to business school, you know, and like was very good at like spreadsheets and was very good at like budgeting and like really thinking about it and like a much, much more structured person than I was, you know, she really helped yeah. <laughs> to really get to that level and taught me so much about that. But yeah, that's budget, who can support, and like, who's already doing the kind of work? What kind of work are you trying to do? What is the process for you to get started? You know, um, I would say those are like very important things. Yeah, I really, I, I wanted you to toot your own horn a little bit because you were the co-executive director at Student Power Network, right? And that's a big deal because then you grew grew it to what it was now and grew it so big that 
you even grew it to a point where they were able to sustain themselves. And can you say a little bit yeah. about that? Yeah, no, it was hard. <laughs> and I do took my own arm. You know, like I thought when I think about the organization now, my co-director is now the executive, the single executive director of the organization. And she's just amazing, has like amazing vision, is like a much more, is just like a great person, right? A great person for the role, very grounded in the communities that she's trying to work with, very grounded in the budget and like raising the money. And I always say this, I heard this from someone else said this to us one day of like, every next generation is the evolution of the previous one. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd always be like, you are the evolution of me. Everything that I've done, if I've done great things, you're going to do greater things, you know? And the person that's after you is going to even do even greater things than you, you know? And I think that I feel proud that all of those days driving around and meeting people and connecting and relationship building and like facing hardships weren't in vain. Um, I think that they are having a real impact in the Florida ecosystems that they belong to and in the communities. And it just, I do feel very proud about that, right? And I think that they're doing great things. Awesome. I I know that in your work in general, you have very strong values and like very authentic to like who you are and I know like all the people you work with in general are just amazing because. Yeah. yeah, not just the ED. I'm out here in these streets only giving one person, yeah. you know, I think she would argue also that it's like, it's the whole team, right? It's like literally everyone and then the community that they are a part of and the young people yeah. that are around on the campuses really doing the hard work, like a recognition that. It's not just one single person, mm-hmm. right? I think it really is a team effort. And um, leadership is like owning the responsibility mm-hmm. of moving folks in a certain direction. Yeah. And I think that, that ownership is something that really grew with time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Would you ever want to start another or like start your own nonprofit at some point like that's like from scratch yourself possibly you know if there's a need that comes up possibly but i think that at the point where i'm at now i'm saying no but very little is absolute so i'm not gonna speak in absolute terms i know i know i mean i just ask that because you're someone that I see as like, you're very committed to the work that you do. You stay grounded and you're very dedicated to not just the work that's needed, but also to the people around you and like the people that do the work with you. And so I know that if you were to ever have an idea or think about, you know, what if we did this? What if we started this? There are people that are like 100% behind you um, and would yeah. do that with you. I would, like, if you asked me. <laughs> there are, and maybe like a for-profit, yeah. you know, like again, maybe there's ways 
to marry, you and there know, are like a non-profits and for profit, mm-hmm. you know, that isn't exploitative, that is working in communities too. Because even then, you know, like corporations are people, apparently, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, according to to the supreme court um but like it's like yeah like you were the person that spoke to me about the different corporate structures and like business structures um that do exist and can exist and i think that yeah i'd i'd be down to start something with a group of folks you know at some point yeah if you ever do you know i'm here so yeah, I'll be like, hey, be a, be a, be a. <laughs> be a <bus> coaching <laughs> and David Caicedo, you know, their collab. <laughs> um, well, this is our first collab here. And I really wanted to bring you on because, like I said, like I think your journey in general as someone who has grown up to embrace these these values and embrace the different work and the much needed work that we need in our communities. I've just seen that in you and then seen your work in Florida and then you continue to come back to that. Like that's who you are, right? Well, yeah, thank you. Yeah. That means a oh, lot. Wait, what did you do? Oh, yeah. We're making a heart yeah. for the oh, listeners. Oh, oh. and this is, this is, oh, we're recording video too, so we might see it. Awesome. Oh, yeah. This is a heart, heart with my fingers. I don't know. You, yours looks so much better than mine. How did you, how did you do that? Like that? Yeah, like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's why I wanted you to come on and talk about nonprofits because I'm going to just, mention this real quick around when I was in grad school while you were talking it reminded me a lot about the work that I was doing across schools of social work like community organizing around uh, across schools of social work because what wasn't being taught in our curriculum within at least when I was in school I think now it's much better but when I was in school systems of oppression and power and privilege those things were not being talked about within curriculum curriculums in social work schools and we were learning about that and we were organizing different social work students across schools of social work in New New York City to talk about that so when you were talking about the different youths realizing different issues and problems and then like specific issues wanting to organize around their own specific issues and problems and then all those different things coming together to create like a huge student network that was sort of what we were doing across schools of social work because a lot of schools social workers weren't wanted these conversations And because they weren't being taught in the curriculum at the schools, they would come to our workshops and our different talks and seminars that we would have. And I think because of that, there was a lot of change. But again, like it's just the work becomes, it can get very tiring. And so you need the that energy sort of like reinvigorated constantly. Um, a lot of the time so yeah yeah what would you say is like a way for you to stay 
energized in this work? Mm. You know, get support, ask for support. For me, as Student Net Power Network was like growing in like its structure, I was getting support too. You know, I think that there was a program in 2018 called like Bold Black Organizing for Leadership and Dignity that was like a personal transformation kind of cohort for different directors that I went through. And it was just very grounding, right? And like really helped me to get that grounding I needed, grounded in purpose, grounded in values, grounded in who am I and how do I show up in this world? you know, given all of the systems that have manipulated our being and how do we get to our full selves and what is your full self? So I think that get that kind of like support that is really going to help you in a real way. And real way is like, what does that mean to you? You you know what I mean? Like if you're really, I, I really, there were times that I really just sat with myself of like, damn, what? Do I really value? I need to check myself on like the way that I'm showing up in different ways. And I think that there were just so much, there was just so much support, right? And I think that the times that we're in now, you hear folks talking about like resting and relaxing more, but how does that become part of the regular culture. Like instead of doing 20 things a day and like burning yourself out, how can you do five things just the right way (laughs) when like not burn yourself out, you know, like slowing down actually means slowing down for the sake of what, what's the real impact that you're trying to have when not burning yourself out and like getting those kind of supports, like getting coaches to like really help you that you can vibe with getting like the mental health kind of support that you need, getting the rest that you need is all part of it. When you're writing in that budget item, you know, include that resting budget or healing budget and think about healing as like a really big thing. There's like healing justice, is an actual thing that folks really focus on and like think about. Yeah. I liked what you said. I never, I I think we're, if I were to run a nonprofit, I would have never thought to include a healing budget. That is such a great idea. And if it's doable, I say do it because it's needed. And the work is always going to require that you heal, that you rest, that you take time, that you stay grounded, that you seek support. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. That you learn, right? And that you learn. Growth is required. So healing budget. I'm going to remember that. I think not just for nonprofit. I feel like also for businesses in general also. Do you have a a line item for like rest time? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think those are time off, you know, what's paid time off, what's paid parent leave. We really have to challenge the systems and from within too, you know, and like the way that we're creating the culture of our organizations. I love it. I love it. If, if folks wanted to get in touch with you and 
learn more about you in general do you do you want people to learn more about you <laughs> or yeah people can learn more about me yeah. link in bio right here <laughs> i don't know how that link in bio in the show notes works. in the show notes link in bio right over yeah. here yeah. <laughs> um, yeah i can include my contact information my email uh for folks also florida student power is in the middle of fundraising i think part of the ways for that sustainability is getting small donors you know and like link over here yeah. <laughs> i don't know where but but yeah with florida city power network you look at their instagram um and on the link tree there's a link to please consider donating uh to them also i know that i have to become a, a sustaining donor you know and I think that those are other ways that like to gain that kind of independence to be doing the impactful work. Awesome. Or grassroots organizing, grassroots fundraising. Yeah, grassroots fundraising, exactly. It, that's grassroots fundraising um, there. And it's like, uh, there might be a competition uh, within like a network that they're a part of. So yeah. Okay. So I'll... That'll also be in bio if they want to support Florida Student Power. Yes. And their work. Florida Student Power. I'm going to include it in the show notes. I'll include your email and your contact information that you want to include as well as Florida Student Power website and to donate. Yeah, Yay. for sure. Okay, anything else you want to say before we wrap up? Um, I just think that the moment that we're living in is requiring more of us. Um, I think it's requiring us to really think expansively about community and how we challenge the systems around us and how do we challenge it from within. So we got to try, right? We got to try to like make the world and think about our impact. I think about what's going on in Africa a lot, you know, especially now like in Niger, what's going on with the Palestinian people, right? What's going on with the native Hawaiian folks and what's going on with people's movements. Mm -hmm. And I think that folks need to connect to organizations as much as they can that align with their values and like the issues that they feel that they're impacted by, whether it be housing, whether it be immigration, whether they care about internationalism, you know, whether they care about hunger, we know at this point, what are the root causes to these problems? And I encourage folks to really connect to organizations to really address and to start to address and to contribute to like solutions and not just false solutions mm -hmm. um, through problems that we're facing. Awesome. So yeah, free all of <laughs> Well, thank you so much, David. I learned so much from you. I know that, you know, there's a lot more that goes into nonprofit, nonprofit work, the the creation of nonprofit. I know there's a lot more that you could say. So, you know, if folks have any follow-up questions or would like to know more, can they comment or like reach out and just ask about totally 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 they can and yeah black lives matter too BLM. <laughs> you know oh <laughs> black lives will 
always matter. And we need to keep saying it, right? It's really like a call yeah. uh, to injustices. So, yes. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so for sure, I'm going to include everything in the show notes. I'm going to all the information as well as Florida Student Power. Yeah. I think if there's any other follow-up, just reach out to David or comment on any of the posts on social media and follow, like, there is an Instagram page for Florida Student Power, right? Yeah. Yeah, there yeah, is. Yeah, I think I follow them. I've seen. Hey, okay. Yes, I know. Not, yeah, for the next round. If you invite me again, you know, like <laughs> for sure. I'm gonna. I mean, we have so much. We can talk about so many different things. So, thank you for sharing your experience and your knowledge around the work that you do. And I just want to say thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you. All right, everyone, that was David Caicedo, former co-executive director at Florida Student Power Network, friend, colleague, and just all around badass. If you're interested in learning more about him or you'd like to get in touch, please remember to come on over to the episode show notes where you can see his contact information you can also learn about florida student power network and you can donate to them as well so come on over and check them out if this episode was helpful if it served you if you enjoyed it please remember to come on over to spotify or apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a rating or leave a review i would really really appreciate your support by leaving a rating or review and you can also share this episode with a friend or a family member where other people can learn about this podcast and learn more about me as well. You can also come on over to beabosscoaching.com where you can read my blog. You can listen to other podcast episodes with the other wonderful guests that I've had so far. And you can book a call with me if you like to explore coaching. I invite you to book a call. I'd love to get to know more about you, your business, and what you'd like to achieve with coaching. There's so much that you can achieve with coaching. So I'm excited to hear more about you and your business. So I just want to say thank you to everyone who has been listening and giving me feedback. Y'all, the feedback that I've been getting, I've been getting some really good feedback on different episodes and I'm it's so invigorating and I cannot, I just, I feel... I don't know how I feel. I have no words. It's it's amazing. And please keep your feedback coming. So I'm really excited to continue to share more stories, to continue to share my insight, what I've learned, and uh, hopefully help all of you out there who are trying to create something and trying to stay true to your values to really do so with ease and with grace and so much authenticity. But yeah, anyway. I hope you have a great rest of your week and I'll see you all again soon. Bye.